Then two months after, the stock crashed to 17. When it crashed to 17, I, I went back to my friend. What, what are we what are we gonna do now? He buy said that, more. Yeah, he said he said, he, he said buy he said, think about it. If you buy now at 17, if it goes back to 24, 25, you won't just break even. You'll you'll still make money. And if it goes to 50, you'll you'll actually make more. So I added. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My mission is to reduce risk in your life. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to pause this episode right now and go to myworstinvestmentever.com to take the risk exposure quiz I created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. It's time to learn how exposed you are to risk in your life and how to reduce it. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Marvin Germo, and he is about to join our mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. Marvin, do you accept this mission, and are you ready to rock? I accept, I accept. (laughs) (laughs) I give up. (laughs) Well, let me tell the audience a bit about you. So Marvin is a stock market trader, entrepreneur, best-selling book author, international keynote speaker, brand influencer, and personal financial consultant, who is among one of the most passionate personal finance experts in the Philippines. Ladies and gentlemen, if you just go to his website, marvingermo.com, or his YouTube, same name, you're going to see that passion. Marvin, will you take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life? Wow, but... First of all, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always an honor to be in the great Andrews Stott show. So <laughs> I wanna I wanna begin with with this that I, I grew up not really in the finance field. I, I took up engineering. It was way far from what I'm I'm doing right now. But I, I realized while I was working, first two weeks of working, I got exposed to so many books on business and investing that I realized that employment wasn't for me, but I wasn't I wasn't the type of person that when I wanted to do something, I would jump the gun right away, resign, and then do my do my own thing. It took me five years of living simple, creating a lot of side hustles. And then when those side hustles earned, I've started to learn more on how I can make them grow and, and invest it. So that's my journey. And then somewhere around 2007, I, I started investing in equity funds, equity phase mutual funds. And mm. I, I started to like it. And as I started to like it, I was watching it almost every day. Then I, I figured out, hmm, if I'm watching this every day, why not try to jump and, and look at the Philippine stock market and buy individual stocks as well? And as I started to research, the 2008 crash happened. And I was pretty much influenced by Warren Buffett at that time. And it didn't make sense. I was looking at it. The recession was in the US. Why did Philippine stocks drop 50% when they seem to be doing so well. It didn't make sense to me. And I was thinking that I was in my early 20s at that time, 22, 23 years old. I I was thinking that if I'm wrong at this, if I invest in these companies that are good, that are durable, and I make a mistake, the worst thing that could happen is I'll still be employed, I'll still have cash flow. And I actually tried it. And at that time frame, I was in my 20s, I was thinking that, hmm, if I do this up until 60, and if I'm wrong for the next 10 years, it 
really doesn't matter. And as I, I got into like the matrix, uh, I got into a rabbit <laughs> hole where once you take the other pill, you'll be sucked into it. And I just I just fell in love with it. And looking at it from hindsight now, I, I think it was something that I really wanted because you can you can start your own business, which is great and amazing. But I'm not the type of person who likes to operate. Like for example, if you're my you're my employee, if you don't meet your quota, I'll be like the person that it's okay as long as we're having fun, as long as we're continually pushing on. It sounds good, but the business would close down if I'm that person leading it. So it fit me very well because I have no one to compete with but myself. If I make a mistake, it's on me. I don't have to do customer service. I don't have to do sales. I don't have to do marketing. And true enough, where we are right now, 2021, in the pandemic, I get to just stay at home and still do what I do because everything in the realm of investing right now is online as well. So that's pretty much me. That's very inspiring. I know a lot of engineers are listening to this show and people who are professionals, architects, engineers, and others that are fascinated by the markets. And you really can, number one, you can take advantage of the markets if you're in those positions because you're making some cash flow every single month because you're making good money. But also, you know, plenty of them want to transition into working in the industry. And you're a great example of how that can be done. And let me ask you, uh, the other question I wanted to understand is, what are you trying to do with your YouTube channel? And why did, you know, tell us like why you started and what you're trying to get across in your YouTube channel. Hmm. So I actually started that channel 2010, 2011, 2012. It was normally most of my TV interviews. I'd upload them there just to, as a repository. And then if people had questions, it made it easy for me to be able to send send it to them. Oh, just watch, just watch this. Then it all started somewhere around 2018. Me and my wife, we had a trip to Iceland and we wanted to take the Northern Lights. We wanted to shoot it. So you need a very, very nice camera to be able to get that. So when I was trying to think about what camera to buy, I was I was thinking, hmm, why not buy also a camera that I can use for vlogging or, or at least share my thoughts? So when I got that, no edit at all. I would just share my thoughts right there. And it was it was so amazing. It was so liberating because... If you get interviewed for a TV network here, you'd have to travel 30 minutes, an hour for a 15-minute slot, then go back. But when you do it in YouTube, at your own terms, at your own time, at your own pace, you get to convey what you want, when you want. And it's not restricted to how long it it gets done. So I, I'm really a talkative person. And the hardest part for me is to stop talking. And I guess it was just a good fit of about me conveying my thoughts and ideas and having a platform to be able to do that and amplify it to, to the rest of the world as well. And for the listeners who want to, you know, they, they like watching YouTube and they have their favorite channels, what would they gain from your from going and watching some of your videos? What is the area? What are you trying to get across then? Hmm. So there's, there's so many channels in, in YouTube, but I, I kind of dip across different things that I'm interested in. So if for those who are, who've watched the older ones, it was pretty much... Philippine equity, then I transitioned. It's not just Philippine equity anymore, US stocks. And I started to add dabble into cryptocurrency. So it's a bit of those. But in my opinion, it's not tips. It's not what stock to buy. It's mostly principles. It's mostly things that you can make templatable also for, for yourself. So that's the that's the whole goal of that. And I'm sure you ascribe to this. It's not about giving people fish, but teaching them how to fish as well. And then some some thoughts on, on the market in general as well. Exciting. And I mean, you, you've got a, a great following. And I just want to ask one last question before we get into the meat of the interview. And that is, 
for a young man or woman out there who's listening to this, you know, they look at your channel and they say, wow, you've really accomplished a lot. And they're just starting out. What one piece of advice would you give someone who's starting out trying to create a, a YouTube channel and, you know, get people to listen to them and get people to follow them? Hmm. So my answer to that is this. Post something that you really, really, really like, that you can't stop talking about it. It doesn't matter if it's golf, if it's basketball, if it's finance, if it's Pokemon cards, it doesn't matter. It has to be something that you can't stop talking about it because it will come out naturally that you don't have to force yourself to do it. Because I, I see a lot of people that I'll start this channel, I'll do this podcast, but they're in it because of maybe the benefits of it or maybe they want it, but it's not something that's real and alive to them. So start something that you like, something that you are passionate about. And I'll say this, people always say quality over quantity. When you're starting out, do quantity over quality first. Why do I say that? Because quality is subjective. And I've posted videos, have no edits at all, but people watched it because that's my audience. They're not really there for the glamorous edits or the landscape effects. They're there for what information that they could actually get. So having quantity allows you to know what content, what piece would people actually want to hear because you will have different audiences already. So from there, you'll see, oh, this video is having a lot of views. Then make more of that. Yep. So that's yep. my suggestion. Fantastic. Well, that's really interesting, you know, quantity over quality. And then, you know, quality will come or maybe not. You don't have this. Some amazing, you know, podcasters out there that all they do is just talk. That's so, you know. But just to interject, what's interesting about that, because you've done it so much, you've done so much quantity, you'll get good at it. Eh? You can't you'll help get quality. Yeah, because you've done it so many times, 10,000 hours of trying to be good at something, you, you'll be better. You, you might not be conscious about it, but given the time that, and the effort that you've spent practicing just one thing, you'll be so good at it also. Great advice. And I think the other thing that you didn't really, I, that I would say, I guess, about your channel and about you is that People come for your information, but they also come for your passion and your energy. And you have it. You've got a great smile, and you bring <laughs> your passion and your energy. So that's fantastic. And now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, and then tell us your story. Okay. When I, when I heard about this concept, oh, no, I, I, I was sort of struggling also to think about, was there anything that hit my finances very hard. And of course, mistakes are made. I've, I've had my share, so many mistakes, especially in investing, but there wasn't really something that hit my finances very, very hard, but allow me to backtrack on the reason on why that happened. So 18 years ago, my dad was top management, top executive in one of the biggest pharma companies in the world. And that pharma company merged with another pharma company. And to make the long story short, he was given an early retirement. So as he was given an early retirement, like I don't know the culture in other countries, but in the Philippines, when you start earning more, you just keep spending. And that, that has been his cycle. And you, he was using credit cards this full time. So when he was given an early retirement, given that he had a high position and he was in the company for a long time, he got a very, very large lump sum. However, having that large lump sum without having any cash flow coming in the prudent thing that he wanted to do was, okay, I'll, I'll start a business. But the thing about that was he had a large amount of money, no experience, and no skill. Looking at it from hindsight, it was a very, very bad proposition because 
if all you have is money but no skill and experience you'll lose the money you'll gain the skill and experience after but you'll you lose the money while while everything is going on so we were distributing napkins sanitary napkins we were sole distributors of that and we also had our gas station and then several other small businesses to make the long story short because it was not studied well he lost everything and i was in i was in college at that time about to graduate so that was a turning point in my life that i said if i if i'm going to do something if i'm going to invest in something if i'm going to make mistakes I, i'm not going to do it at the latter stage of my life when there's a lot on the line i'm not going to do it also with a large amount of money me no not knowing anything and that's why i start everything that i did even up until now i'm doing it gradually i, I always start small I always try to cover my basis first. As what you've mentioned at the start of the podcast, that I would do side hustles. And I, I primarily did those side businesses not to earn. I was looking at, I wanted to learn from this because if I learn from this, I would figure out, is this something that I, I can scale later on when I have more money? Is this something that I enjoy doing also? And then I'll, I'll just make it bigger. If I earn, then that's that's a bonus. And I don't have to figure things out later on in my life. So that being said, the mistakes that my parents made in their finances allowed me to become more conservative when I was starting out because looking at it from a portfolio perspective, people say that don't, don't keep cash, don't keep fiat because the number of dollars that have been printing out, it's losing value. But I kind of like having cash because it's my buffer. It's, it allows me to make those mistakes, eh? having that having that buffer that if nothing comes in, if none of the investments come in, none of the businesses would generate anything for me. As long as I have that buffer, I'm okay. So I, I'm conservative that way. And even in any investment that I would get into, I would make sure that is there money coming in? If I have debt, is it something that's manageable or is it debt to an asset? Then do I have enough cash that if this doesn't go my way? But just to answer it also directly in terms of mistakes and investments, I remember when I was starting out in the stock market, and I, I, I don't know if a lot of your listeners would connect to this, but when you don't know a lot, it's easy to listen to your friends. So there was a friend who told me, oh, buy this stock, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do well. And at that time, that was around 2009, just after the crash, there were a lot of Philippine stocks that were ridiculously cheap but it wasn't going as fast as the stock that he actually bought. So the stock went from like 12 to 15 in a couple of days. Then it went to 24. So I saw him double his money and he was my office mate at that time. What's interesting about him was he was borrowing money from all of his, all of our office mates to add to his position. And at that time I was, I was relatively new and I said, wow, what conviction he has in it. Why would he borrow money for other people to give him and invest into it? So the stock went to around 32. This is in Philippine pesos. Then it dropped to 25. So I was actually thinking, hmm, it started to correct. This might be my opportunity. Then I, I went to my friend and he told me, it's, it's going to go It's gonna go to 50. It's going to go to 50. So even if you buy the 25, you didn't come in at 12, you still have a chance to double your money. So at the end of 2009, somewhere around December, I accumulated around 24 to 26. Then two months after, the stock crashed to 17. When it crashed to 17, I, I went back to my friend. What, what are we, we going to do now? He Buy said more. That, 
Yeah, he said, he said, he said, buy, he said, think about it. If you buy now at 17, if it goes back to 24, 25, you won't just break even. You'll, you'll still make money. And if it goes to 50, you'll, you'll actually make more. So I added. And like anyone who lost money, once you start losing money, that's when you take it seriously and you study. And when I started to study, it's, this doesn't make sense from even a technical and a fundamental point of view. I, I don't think I should be in this. So ultimately, I sold half at 16, then I sold half at 13. It may sound like a loss, but when I look back at it in 2015, the stock hit one. So it selling at a loss at 13 wasn't so bad as compared to looking at it drop to drop more than 90 plus percent in, in, over, in over a decade. And fast forward to where we are now, it's nowhere near the heights of where it was when my friend offered it to me as well. So there. Uh, and so... Let's take these two different stories that you've told, kind of the story of your youth and your father's circumstances and how that shaped your way of investing, and also take this particular individual story. And I'd love to hear how you would describe the lessons that you learned from both of these experiences. There's so much to unpack, no? Number one, in, in my father's story, people always want to get rich in the next eight minutes. But what they don't realize is wealth is something that's built over time. People always think that when I have the capital, that's when I'll start the business. When I have the capital, that's when I'll start investing. I always tell people, don't, don't invest when that big money comes in. Start with whatever you have right now. Because the ROI of any investment in, is in whose hand is it on. Meaning, you may have a lot of money, but you don't know anything about it. You don't have the experience for it you lose money and true enough my the business was a gas station it's an essential it's an essential business especially where he started to put it but if it's not run well you don't know anything about it you lose so key takeaway for me that i that that helped me when i started out was i just wanted to start as early as i can i wanted to take as much risk as i can while i was younger and i wanted to start with the money that I had. I'm not a big fan of debt. I know in finance, debt is something that's very, very important. But what allows me to take a lot of risk right now is the money that I'm putting in is all mine. That I'm not scared that if even if it goes to zero, I don't owe anyone. So even in the world of trading, people do shorts, people do leverage. I don't do any any of that because I, I want to take risks, but I want it to be my own money. With the story with my friend, What's, what's funny about this, Andrew, is that I, I already knew about fundamental analysis at that time. I was a big Warren Buffett fan. But investing is not just about information and principles. It's also about emotions. And when you see your friend making money and your positions are slow, you get tempted there. Mm. I guess a couple of things is that for those who are listening to this, when you're investing, just focus on your own race. You don't have to compare your gains with what other people are doing because you have different starting points at different capital, different risk tolerances, different timelines as well. And it doesn't make sense to compare yourself with what other people are actually doing. And very, very important, before you buy anything, it's so important to know what it is, how much you should put in, how to exit properly, what if it doesn't go the way you want it to go, and those, those scenarios. What I forgot to mention though was, since I was also conservative in terms of with my dad's history, even though I made a lot of, I, that was a huge mistake, but because I balanced my portfolio properly, it really didn't hit me also in a way that 
it was easy to recover from mm. there. Got it. I wrote down a lot of stuff as you were talking. And <laughs> the first thing is I just want to talk about, you know, your fathers. I, maybe I'll share a few things that I, I take away from your story. You know, your father was a manager or an employee, just like my father. He was a company man. And sometimes what we find is that a company man may not have the entrepreneurial skills. They're doing a role in a company. And in fact, I think you could argue that a tiny percent of people in the world really are entrepreneurial. You know, they're the entrepreneurs. That most people struggle to be an entrepreneur because it's just so many different things that they have to deal with. And it reminds me of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And as we know in that book, I always tell people that this is a terrible book for advice <laughs> on investing and on finance. And I think it's a bit shocking because it's such a big selling book and I've read it, everybody's read it. But the rich dad was the entrepreneur and the poor dad was a salary man like your dad and my dad who did successful you know, in their job. But the problem is, is that in order to follow the guidance of that book, the guidance really is be an entrepreneur, make your money work for you like the rich dad. But if we know that only a tiny percent of people are really suitable to be an entrepreneur, it's actually bad advice for the majority of people. And that's one thing that you made me think about. The second thing I'm thinking about is, you know, you really focus on cash flow. And I think that's really good. And it's a good lesson for the listeners out there is that it wasn't like you, you were trying to build up some kind of nest egg. You were working and generating cash flow. You were thinking about businesses that could generate you cash flow. And I always tell people in my world, which is basically create, grow, and protect wealth. Create wealth through either business or our job. If we get a salary of 100000 and we spend 80000 we've got 20000 of wealth creation that we made that month. <laughs> that is creating wealth. Now, you could say, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur. Fine. But, you know, that, that's a much bigger, complicated, more complicated thing. But if you can get a good salary and keep your costs low, you are generating wealth. So think of your cash flow as that. The other thing is, you know, talking about the story about your friend, it's so easy to get impressed by people who are really confident. They're really, and it, it's going up right now, you know, and it happens all the times in the world of finance. And I hear it all the time. Yeah, but my, but my friend's making money on this stock and this guy's got that. But truth is, is that, you know, most of the time, just being confident about something isn't enough. Most of the time people are winning in the stock market. The average person's probably winning most of the time through luck, yeah. not through skill. And therefore when luck turns, they get hurt. So part of what I'm trying to do with this podcast is to help people look at all the people that have lost money and lost in different ways and to try to build up those skills. And then the last thing is you said something that I want to really hone in on. You talked about debt in the world of finance. And in finance theory, we're taught that debt is valuable. We can add more debt to our balance sheet. And the more debt we add until a certain point, the more that we reduce the cost of capital and that adds value to the business. But I would argue that after living through 30 years of business up and downs, I would say debt is not nearly as significant as what finance people like to say. And from a company perspective, I said, if, if a company set a goal of having zero debt, only cash or only 10% debt or maybe 20% debt compared to the equity they have in their business, nothing wrong with that. That is perfectly fine. So for those people out there that feel like they're being pushed into debt, don't 
feel that. I had a lot I learned from your story. Is there anything you'd add to all that? Oh, wow. I, I, I guess I, I want to say this, that I don't know how it is in Thailand, but here in the Philippines, a lot of people are affected from the pandemic and they think it's the worst ever. I guess I want to tell people that there's so much opportunity around it. There's, there's so much and we just have to spend time finding what will work for us because ultimately what will work for me may not work for the ones that are listening to this. And if you are asking what, what's the best investment, then the biggest, the biggest thing that probably is going on is you haven't done your research yet because if you spent the time to read, research, and actually learn or actually execute any of businesses or, or investments out there, you wouldn't be asking it anymore. You already would know where you would put your money. And what's so fascinating about it is this whole, this whole internet space has opened so many things where people could actually make money. And people have been selling slime off the internet, something that people 30 years ago would never thought was actually possible. And what I'm saying is this, find something that you know that you can excel in, that you know that's your edge against everyone else, and try to double down on that. Try to learn. It doesn't mean you won't make any mistakes, but it means that if you're enjoying, you're having fun, and you're learning in the process, you'll find your way to get better. But if it's really not it, it allows you already to figure it out early on, and you get to shift and pivot to the next thing that you want to do. Great. So based upon what you learned from your story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, start as early as now. Do your time to, to build wealth. Don't focus on making money in the next eight minutes. Focus on the next eight years because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And mm. this is what I realized, Andrew. It's the boring things that will make you rich. Eh? It's the boring things that will... I'll share this. At the height of the pandemic, Philippine markets crashed similar to what's happening, what happened around the world. But I'm a big dividend investor. And as long as I know I got my cash flow going in, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not scared. But no one wants to talk about dividends because it's boring. Yep. So there, find something that works for you and mm. double down on it and start now. So last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I'm not sure if, if this is something that, that you like, but... I've been pretty deep in the cryptocurrency space and I've been spending four hours each day just learning more about it. And it's, it's similar to what I felt when I started investing in the stock market more than a decade ago. I think I'm, I'm in deep in the rabbit hole mm. that I love it so much that there's so much opportunity also in that particular space. So whatever I know right now in cryptos, I'm just going to go deeper and deeper as we close the year as well. Fantastic. I think you've even made some videos about crypto and what you're learning and, and what you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com and take the risk exposure quiz. It's time to see how exposed you are to risk in your life and how to reduce it. As we conclude, Marvin, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Whoa. Um, that's something I didn't expect. Uh, <laughs> Godspeed to everyone. I hope that you guys are spend the rest of the year, the next three months of the year, pushing strong, 
pushing hard and use the prime years of your life, not wasting your time, not wasting your money. Keep on investing and keep on pushing forward. Fantastic. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. This podcast is about one person, one story, one mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.